Make it hot, make it sexy. Make it hot, make it sexy. What's up, everybody? It's real Jordan Dimmy. Oh my I'm God, in, I'm blushing. I'm in LA. Dimmy's in New York. What's going on, Dimmy? This is, um, that was just like a little bit. That was like 1% of what Jordan has to deal with on a daily basis with me. Just 1%, like, the, yeah. The, yeah. You know, extra ness. So, Dimmy, who's on the show today? We have Mark from Mud Honey. And yes, if you're like an OG rock fan, you're going to enjoy this one. We get real deep and we get real like personal and memories and all that. Personal and memories. We get, yeah. Um, Mark Arm is, Mark Arm is the lead singer of Mud Honey, um, a band that started in the eighties in Seattle and was kind of like a proto grunge band that inspired bands like Nirvana. And so we talk about Mud Honey's career and about the early Seattle rock scene and um, his interaction with Kurt Cobain. Um, Mud Honey was one of Kurt Cobain's favorite bands. So it's a real fun episode for those who are into rock history. Let's start with what's going on now. Let's start with the, the upcoming new album, Mark. Um, I know that this was recorded in a sort of atypical way for a Mud Honey album. It was it was kind of it was kind of invented in a different way. Can you can you kind of tell us about that? How how this was put together? Well, I mean, ever since Guy has been in the band, which was started in the early two thousands, um, we've all like had jobs and families and stuff, so we we would learn our songs very well, rehearse them before going in the studio and just book a couple of days over a week, long weekend maybe and do it sort of piecemeal like that. And uh, this time around, we just booked nine days and Went we had a lot of like kind of half-baked ideas that we figured out in the studio instead of like being well rehearsed. And it kind of made for an interesting record, I think. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely so was, sounds different. Go ahead, Demi. Well, I was, I wanted to, one question I was really excited to ask you was, so I was telling my dad and stuff. I was like, oh my God, we're going to talk to Mud Honey today. And he was like, yeah. can you ask them about where we got this name from? Like, where did the name originate from? Yeah, it's from a Russ Meyer movie. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's in the Wikipedia. <laughs> You know, you know, Mark, um, uh, speaking of Wikipedia, one thing that I, uh, you, you mentioned that that's mentioned in the, in the, in the, in the press materials for this album is that, um, you know, you, you're, you're kind of put off that Tom Herman doesn't have his own, the guitarist, Tom Herman, not the football coach, Tom Herman. I was completely unaware of the football coach. Yeah. 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 That's when you, when you, that's when, when, you, when you Google. Yeah. 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 So, for the for the um for the for the um uneducated or the the the, the people who don't know, can you explain who Tom Herman is and why he's so important to you? Uh, yeah, he's like you know a crucial member of uh, the original lineup of. I mean, I guess everybody was a crucial member of the original lineup of Perugu, um, and uh, Peter Laffner. The other guitar player who kind of played on just 
a couple of the early singles seems to get a lot of like credit, but the real cool stuff is Tom, I think. And Tom was the only guitarist for like the first three records. And that stuff is amazing. Uh, and he did, he did stuff after he left Perubu, like this band Tripod Jimmy, um, who were well regarded at the time. And he rejoined Perubu in the mid nineties. And if you just go to like the, if you look him up, there's no like, there's very little presence. Right, and right. he's a, an amazing guitar player, super innovative. Um, but you know, maybe he doesn't give a shit. And you, <laughs> maybe yeah, he's he's not his own his own self proclaimer or yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. But and you and you guys, there's a song on the on the new album that's kind of a um, an ode to him. Yeah. Sure. I really want to go back in time with you on just like the like the whole era. Um, you guys are considered like monarchs of the grunge era, and monarchs. Oh, man. That's a great word, Demi. Oh yeah, rulers. Yes. Well, I mean that time. It's so precious those moments in time where genres are being created, right? So, I kind of want to know like what that felt like to kind of see all that happening, being one of the first success stories of sub pop. And what did that kind of just chaos and like excitement of being a rock band in that time feel like? I don't know. I was just a kid growing up in the Seattle area <laughs> and playing in bands with my friends and, and watching. There, there, yeah. And in the late eighties, in the eighties there, there, I would imagine there wasn't any kind of like, this is the sound that's going to be popular in the mm -hmm. next. No, not, years, not by you any know. means, you know, I, and I feel like what we were doing was just part of what was happening in the American underground and also kind of yeah. like the Australian underground too, at the same time. Well, yeah. I, I, a little bit of the UK, but a lot of that stuff was a little poppier except for like Spaceman three. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I mean, you guys were one thing about Mud Honey to me is that you guys the the, the kind of the thing that Oh, promoted, look at the glass. Sorry, cut you off. Check that out. Glass. 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 Yeah. glass in yeah. the house right now, never before seen. Never before That's seen. So cool. Yeah. Um Yeah, well, I I was just sorry sorry about that Demi, didn't mean to uh, catch you out there. But I uh um one thing I think about Mud Honey is that you know the press, the, the kind of the, the the this new album is being promoted is very kind of diverse, and there's all different kinds of sounds and all stuff. But I always felt like Mud Honey was musically a mishmash of different rock styles. I hear like early '80s hardcore. I'm wearing a Minor Threat T-shirt right now. I felt like there was always sort of um, you did you, you did whatever you wanted to do. Did you ever feel the inclination to make your sound more poppy to reach more people or anything like that? Or were you always just like, we're doing what we're going to do? I, I feel like we were, you know, we like what we like. And if you look at our record collections, I would say like maybe 10% of the records are people who got really big, like Bowie, Alice Cooper, you know, the rest yeah. of them were just like the scientists and the stooges and feed time. You know, things that didn't break through, even though they thought they might at the time. The MC5 or New York Dolls, you know, like Dolls, wow. if, I remember um, when I was in college, I uh, worked at the University of Washington 
library in the copy center. And there were times when it was completely dead, but they had like this treasure trove of old Rolling Stones. And so I would just read this stuff from like the early 70s. And it was almost as if they were giving the New York Dolls and the Eagles equal weight, mm. which is interesting, kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he would have. Yeah, I guess it was hard. Because to all know. these writers were from New York, right? So they're like right. oh, the New York Dolls, or the, the, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got some good. We we had we had Thurston Moore on the show a while back, and he gave some really good insight about the early '80s in New York and and all that kind of stuff. That's that was that was Demi's moment doing doing Thurston Moore. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I know I just spilled some water on my face somehow. It's all good. It I really it love talking to like the OGs because you know, I mean. Right now, you may have, you may have already known is like this whole buzz, like rocks here. But like, I really love to hear what the OGs, you know, in rock music have to say about that time. Speaking of other bands, though, was there ever like, you know, like how rappers have like their drama, like oh, like East Coast versus West Coast? Was there ever like any kind of like band drama that you're like, no, like we don't associate with this band or like this band is like not? Yeah, cool. did, you guys, did you guys get along? Yeah, did, were all the bands getting along? For the most part, you know, I mean, people have their own personalities and some people get along and don't get along, but there was never like, oh, we hate New York or whatever, you know. Yeah. What about the dynamic within the band? Were you guys always, um, you know, did you always, were you always like glued together and like cooperating as a unit? Or I kind of feel like for the most part we were obviously at one point, like Matt decided to leave the band. Mm -hmm. Um Uh, I don't know. Really, I mean, there was there was no like behind the music, like throwing things, throwing vases at each other, or anything like that. You know, no. that, the volatility wasn't there. Uh, you know, I did this. Steve and I did this side project called Monkey Wrench with uh, Tim Kerr from uh, the Big Boys, and I think he was really surprised that he mentioned like it's so weird that everyone just gets along so well, and we're like, yeah, we're in our thirties now. You know, right. it's not like we're like, I guess the big boys, they had like conflict and stuff. And I, you know, and there was kind of that a little bit in Green River, you know, like everyone has their like position of this is the kind of music I like and this is what I want to do. And it seems really important when you're in your like teens or early 20s. But over time, it's, eh, you know, okay, cool. You, you like the Beatles. I like the Stones, whatever. It's not a big deal. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, once, once the sort of grunge and the rock era took off in the nineties and you guys were like signed and you had the, the association with the Seattle sound, did your approach to making music change at all? Did you feel, um, any kind of pressure to write something that would reach more people or was it business as usual once was, you got into, yeah. It was pretty much business as usual. Like we uh, made a point of recording our first major label record in the same basement studio uh, at Conrad Uno's house that we did the previous record at. Like we, we fought pretty hard to not, to be able to keep doing what we wanted to do. Um, and we, in, there was some, at the time, a lot of bands were getting into like, you know, bidding wars or trying to like, just get as much money as they can. And we intentionally told our, lawyer who was helping to construct the deal to like, we don't want that. We don't want a big advance. We just want to be kind of left alone. And we got a really, you know, 
we we're one of the, I think the few few bands that didn't have a horror story at a major label. Yeah, yeah, you did. I I because I, my, my my favorite um, album years might be Piece of Cake. I was looking through your discography, and I I, I love that. I feel like I'm I'm a big transitional period kind of guy when it comes to bands. And I feel like that was like such a nineties record, but it had the spirit of like the early mud honey stuff. Um, and that was like on a major label and everything. And that was 92. So that was right at the height of like the grunge era or whatever. Um, so that's kind of what I was asking was like specifically piece of cake. Did you have high hopes for that? Or was there a push to get that to radio or anything like that? Like what was that album? We did not want to be popular. Yeah. <laughs> but we kind of, you know, we're always really aware of uh, our limited appeal. You know, I'm not like the greatest singer in the world. I've got a, a thing I do, but I don't have like an eight octave vocal range. <laughs> like you, Demi. Demi, Demi is an eight octave vocal range. Where I carry over here. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorites is, well, a lot of people's favorites. Well, I can't speak for everyone else, but so touch me. I'm sick. Okay. Can you tell us about the moment you wrote that song um, and how it all came together? And did you know that that song was going to kind of like set people off the way it did? No, no. Really? Uh, Steve wrote the riff for that. And I just came up with the words, you know, <laughs> not even really sure what they completely mean. <laughs> and at the time we did this other song called Sweet Young Thing Ain't Sweet No More. And we put that on a single. Love that song. Such a great intro. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. We actually thought that was the A side and Touch Man Sick was the B side. Mm -hmm. So it's, we're not very good at, I don't know. A and R. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I understand that. Do you remember recording that tune? Like the energy in the no. room? <laughs> <laughs> I love the honesty. I love just that. You know, you could have made up some story about like, yeah, we were in the recording. We knew we, you were like, no, I don't remember. I don't remember. I mean, I remember the idea of it, but it was like 35 years ago. Yeah. I, well, that whole, that whole, uh, we were probably whole, really drunk. Oh, there you go. <laughs> the, spirit, the spirit of the time. Well, that whole, um, you know, that 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 EP has become such a like a sort of an, an alternative tentpole in terms of the, you know, when you list like the important alternative records, that's like your that's like up there. Um, and so, was it one of those that was recorded quickly and and kind of you know um, you know just kind of raw, or were you like, okay, guys, this is the one that people are going to hear, so we need to really concentrate? Like, what was the recording of the of that um, initial EP like? We didn't have any money or anything, so you know everything was pretty quick uh, and economical. Yeah. And that sometimes that produces the best start because you got, you have such a, you have the constraints to work within. Right. And we, uh, you know, over time, we learn not to overthink things in the studio. You know, a lot of bands will just like, they'll spend days, if not weeks on just like going over this, like a, a, like a mix. A friend of ours who recorded us, Tucker Martin was talking about another band. Uh, that he'd worked with and like the guitar player put down the solo 
that Tucker thought was great and then did like 30 more tries hmm. and basically ended up using the first one. So a lot of times it, your initial impulse is kind of the best one. And that's kind of the, that's the thing that we've gone with. Yeah. That's crazy. For people who don't know, I want to like kind of talk about this a little bit. So there's like punk and there's like grunge and there's kind of like this fight between the two. Mm -hmm. That's not punk. You know, this is whatever. Um, what do you guys consider where you guys were at in your sound? And also for anyone who doesn't know, can you explain kind of like the difference um, in the two genres and kind of like a little bit of like the history? <laughs> Uh, that would be tough. Um, <laughs> we, have, uh, we have three more hours to record. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, start with what do you guys consider your sound to be? Did you, yeah, did you even think I mean, you a certain type of out, We thought of ourselves like, uh, you know, like a punk rock influenced band. Mm. But like that word was so broad by the mid 80s where like bands that I don't think now would be considered punk. They might be considered something like post-punk or whatever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like, post-punk was a, a thing that people retroactively like to slap on like mid-80s. Yeah, but you know, like the in the same world as like the Butthole Surfers and Sonic Youth, but also like a more standard rock band like The Replacements, like we, or Husker Du. Like we kind of felt like we were just part of a continuum that it like kind of happened with punk rock through hardcore and bands like Scratch Acid. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I I've enjoyed that's been consistent throughout your your discography is that the guitars always feel unhinged. There's always a, there's feedback. There's there's fuzziness. There's you know just they're kind of and even on the new record, you know, all these years, thirty five years later, you're still kind of you 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 won't. Re, there's no the guitars aren't clean. I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, um, do you do you have do you have a, do you have something against clean guitars? I mean, because because this <laughs> new album has has some sort of like uh, has some solos going on. You got some like Waylon solos, but it's not like it's not going to sound like Boston or Sticks or something. You never have had that clean guitar sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's never going to sound like Boston or Sticks. Um, you know, I don't know. We've always just been really attracted to fuzz mm -hmm. our first record was named after two distortion fuzz boxes um i had nothing against clean guitars. some clean guitars sound great and you know every once in a while i think there's a cleaner guitar sound and on there i'm trying to look at looking at the song titles right now um uh i appreciate you looking at looking for examples i i, I that, was, that was nice <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. What are yeah, the I, guitar I, pedals of choice when it comes to distortion? Because there's a lot out right now. There's like your your rat pedal, mm -hmm. which we've seen like the bass player Nirvana use um, famously. I mean, and now a lot of guitar players love that pedal to get that kind of like that grit. Um, what are your favorite distorted pedals? A lot of pedals and I'm constantly in the process of uh, figuring out what my favorite is. Mm -hmm. um, the pedal that I'm have used the longest um, in the early 90s Ibanez made a little thing called like a 60s fuzz and it was like a 
crappy plastic box that broke really easily. Mm. Um, and years ago now, I had a friend of mine who is good with a soldering gun, uh, take the inners, inner parts of that and put it in a metal box. And I've been playing that. Oh, dope. So like saves it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dimmy's oh, cool. taking notes. Dimmy's taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, a recent uh, pedal that I use for a little less fuzz, but works good with feedback and also has a little bit of grit is uh, the Sabra Cadabra pedal, which uh, I think is supposed to make you sound like Tony Iommi. Doesn't mm. quite because you there's no way you can sound like Tony Iommi. That's just that's in his fingers. Yeah. Um, uh, but it does a pretty good approximation. <laughs> I guess you have to like do, do, I'm trying to do like a, a missing finger or something. That's bad, yeah. bad joke. I'll, I'll cut that I'm out. Soft the tip of my <laughs> yeah. Soft top your finger. Yeah. <laughs> We're going deep into like black Sabbath rock nerd stuff. Um, <laughs> while we still have, I, I wanted, I do want to talk a, a little bit more about the, the new album. I know that quarantine affected the recording of this and the writing of this. Um, and that there was sort of, you know, you used, you were kind of like almost stockpiling riffs or something like how did, how did, and it's a, it's a kind of a long album for these days, thir 13 tracks. So um, tell us about how you, how you wrote these songs and how you recorded them given the circumstances of not being able to come together like you normally would. Well, before the pandemic hit, we had, you know, amassed a couple of riffs here and there. So they were in our uh, recording device in our practice place, which is in my basement at my house. So um, we didn't re get together until like everyone had both doses of the initial shot of the vaccine. Um, <clears throat> Guy, our bass player at the time was working in, I mean, our bass player still, but mm -hmm. at the time had been working in Harborview, which is a major trauma hospital in Seattle. So he was, neck deep in the shit wow you know uh um he was uh for a while there the covid coordinator for the nurses um and uh so there you know the rest of us i think had a little bit of fear of getting together with him because right. he was obviously exposed or, or around the virus but he you know the protocols that they had at harborview were like great and he never got it in the two years, the, the crazy thing is, is like once we did our first tour last spring, we all got it because we're playing in venues and people are just like unmasked right there and yeah, everyone's breathing, even though we had like a, a vaccine requirement. But luckily, no one got like uh, incurably sick. But um, that kind of broke Guy's brain a little bit because he was like, I was in the thick of the shit for two years, never got COVID, and we play a couple of shows and, <laughs> you know, because like people weren't still like kind of, everyone thought it was over. Can we take it back to 93? 93. 93. So time machine. <laughs> Okay, you guys did a two-week tour with Nirvana, right? I'm pretty sure you've spoken oh. about this before. And, I mean, I just kind of want to know daily life. Like, you wake up, 
you do a sound check. Like, what was it? What's the real deal about being a rock band in that time on a tour like that um, with other bands and um, just the energy in general? And was it all kind of like what people glamorized touring to be in that era? Well, they were on a bus. <laughs> what were you guys on? Uh, in a van, like a 12 seat. Oh, I thought you were going to say we were on a charter plane while they were on oh, a bus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, yeah, it was weird. It was a little weird, you know? I mean, uh, <clears throat> there was a. Uh, they were. Trying to keep Kurt sober, uh, so there was no. They weren't allowed. They weren't allowed to have like beer backstage. But we had beer in our room, so like those guys had all just come into our room and drink our beer. <laughs> oh. oh hell no! And 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 beer wasn't Kurt's problem at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was weird. It was uncomfortable. It wasn't cool. Were there any good moments from that tour that you remember? That particular tour, no. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Um, but we um, uh, hooked up with Pearl Jam a couple months later. And at the time, the perception, obviously very wrongly, was that like, you know, Nirvana was the band from the underground, the punk band, and Pearl Jam was like this major label band. And, you know, if you look back to like like I was in a band with Stone and Jeff you know before before Mud Honey and so right. was Steve and uh Jeff had like done a fanzine and he was in a hardcore band and Stone played in a hardcore band for a hot minute before like real started mm -hmm. um so that perception at the, which was at the at the time that they were like this major label sellout band and Nirvana was the thing that grew organically out of the underground was complete bullshit. Hmm. Um, that was yeah. music press stuff though. That was like music press, yeah, music yeah. press putting that on you. Yeah. 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 And then we were, we were like, Oh fuck. Now we got it. This Nirvana tour was fucking terrible. It's just the way people around the band dealt with them. And it was, it was kind of gross. And we're like, oh, fuck, we've got to do this Pearl Jam tour now. This is going to be terrible. And it turned out to be great. Wow. And it's because the band actually took control of things themselves instead of, like, had assholes surrounding them. Right. You know, um, and uh, so that was that was a lot of fun and really great to see. Um and I think the crazy thing was like we were playing, did a couple nights in Boulder, and at the end of the shows at the time, like the audiences would just yell, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. <laughs> and Jeff was just like, Yeah, it's been like this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the crowd didn't know anybody else in the band. Yeah, there was just it was just like, yeah, it was just like Eddie and a bunch of guys playing guitar. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I'm I'm curious about that, Mark. Um I'm not going to go into the whole, like, you know, the, the, the breakup of, of, of green river and all this kind of stuff. But when Pearl jam started having success, did you feel happy for those guys that you, the guys that you knew, or 
Were you kind of like, I wish that was us? No, I mean, we were aware of what we sounded like, you know, and our our appeal. So you kind of you kind of embraced that you guys were like the underground band. I hate to say that word under. We just talked about no, that. No, I, feel like, I think we are an underground band, and I, yeah. you know, wear that badge proudly. Yeah, nice, nice, nice. Well, do you um, do you have any? Let, let's ask about you. Like, what what do you listen to now? Like, do you do you do you take time out to listen to music currently, or is it just sure. kind of background? Or, or what do you what do you what well, do you, you know, listen to? In a, a warehouse at Sub Pop, and there's always like s- stuff playing. Oh, you okay? So you're like you're like a Sub Pop. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about your relationship with with Sub Pop. What what have what has what's that relationship been with for all these years? And why do you think that Mud Honey and you personally have have formed that bond that's lasted so long? Well, we're friends. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and they're willing to hire me. <laughs> that's a good answer. A good and they're, 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 they, they, you know, they back our band, which is great. Yeah, I think it's amazing. I, mean, I feel like right? we're in like a, an incredibly lucky position, you know, especially Absolutely. for a band that you know is an underground band. Like we get to keep doing what we want to do. And there's a lot about like sticking to your, you know, your genre. I feel like it's a very punk thing. Um, And like people in the underground almost like don't want their heroes to be discovered by the masses because then that means it's no longer theirs and like their group of friends. And like, you get what I'm saying? That's kind of like, yeah, I think so. But I mean, you know, I'm, not opposed to like living in a world where we're huge. <laughs> I just don't, it's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, maybe there's like some other universe where that's a different thing, but. Did you guys, do you guys ever get big in a foreign country that surprised you? Where like, cause I know that sometimes it would be like all of a sudden you'll be big in Japan or Korea or Germany or something. The first time we went to Brazil, that was really surprising. Mm. What was I heard the Brazilians get down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, because it's not a country where, like, there were huge record sales. Mm. We would do, like, an in-store, and people would bring in CDRs that they just, to sign, with, like, oh. Xerox covers. That's crazy. Wow. Because, I, I mean, it's a generally kind of a poor country, so a lot of people couldn't really afford to, like, buy the brand new thing off the shelf, and they would mm-hmm. just, like, make copies of it for each other. Did that, did that bug you or, or were you kind of... No, you like- I mean, I understand where they're coming from. <laughs> you got to eat, mm-hmm. but you also want to listen to music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dimmy, Dimmy do, you, do you have any... While we still have Mark, do you, do, you have any, um, do you have any Sonic Youth interaction questions? Oh, interesting. Well, we did. Yeah, I mean, so for you guys that are watching and don't know, so around this time... There was Mud Honey and all these amazing, like really dope alternative bands that were breaking their way through to like for Pete, your, for your average person that maybe wasn't even into rock to discover because they were being talked about and given some light, which is a really cool and special thing. And another one of those bands, aside from Nirvana and Sonic Youth, I mean, aside from Nirvana and Mud Honey, is Sonic Youth. And we had Thurston on the show. And was there any kind of interaction between you, Thurston, and Kim? And can you kind of give us a little insight on how they were back in the in that time? Well, uh, the very first time Sonic Youth came to Seattle, 
in 85, I believe it was, uh, the local promoter who was, who put on the show asked Green River if we would open because he knew that like Steve and I were, at least Steve and I were like fans of the two records that were available at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were, Green River played with them like every time they came through town and then like Mud Honey started playing with them every time they came through town and they took us to the UK in 1989, which was huge. Like at that point, uh, Sonic Youth was kind of like the tastemakers of the underground. Mm-hmm. And the previous band that they took with them to the UK was Dinosaur. Okay. Dinosaur Jr., I guess, by that mm-hmm. point. Um, and uh, so it was kind of like if Sonic Youth endorsed you, you know, people listened. 100, yeah. You got the cool kid badge, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the cool thing about rock, like music in general, is like that's what tends to happen with scenes and like bands that form. They kind of like, you know, team up in that way without like maybe it's not spoken or intentional, but it is cool that like fans of one band can see like, a you know, an opener on tour and say, okay, like I'm interested in this too and like be exposed in that way which is really cool what was that like being on the plane to the uk for that tour uh do you yeah do you remember that what was really surprising was uh how ape shit the crowds went just initially from the get-go wow despite the fact that you know we had just released our first record I mean, the single had been out for a few months and that was getting play on John Peel's radio show. And so, yeah, it was crazy. Before we let you go, this is a really um, kind of, well, this is the last question mark and we'll let you go. But um, you guys made a cameo in the movie Black Sheep. One thing that's about that, that people don't remember from that era is that during the um, early nineties, early mid nineties, there were a lot of movies where there was a scene with a rock band. Even you mentioned Alice Cooper in Wayne's world, they go backstage, they meet Alice Cooper. And that was kind of a thing that like, they wanted to appeal to like, you know, the sort of the, the Gen X rockers was having, was putting bands in movies. What do you remember about um, record uh, about filming that, that's uh, fil- filming that movie. And, and did you have any interaction, any interaction with, with Chris Farley and David Spade? Uh, David Spade was not on set. Chris Farley was. He was hilarious and a really nice, gregarious guy. Uh, my biggest memory is that we walked away from that shoot without getting a SAG card because we played ourselves. Oh. oh. <laughs> Were you looking for a SAG well, card? Our, our acting careers never took off. Yeah. <laughs> you could have um, been, like, been a detective on on uh, Law and Order or something. But yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the craziest thing about it was like we had to film the scene where we play live and we're just like kind of dreading this because, you know, we've done videos before and usually when you do a video, there's just like the whole crew and everyone's just not, not looking at you trying to like, you know, not give any signals off. Well, and we're like, oh, this is going to be, they, they're putting us in front of actual real people to like mime along to our song. This is going to be <laughs> a pulling teeth. And the thing that we didn't realize was, was it this audience was like all paid extras 
And they, wow. they went ape shit as if they liked what they were hearing. But you, but when you I do that, you're that. like you're miming the song. It's is it? Do you, are you even getting a playback like you would on a music video? Or? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wild. That's wild. crazy. I just want to make a special shout out to um, the Reels Grum Grunge, Reels Grunge Instagram page. Um, they saw, I posted yesterday that I was, um, that we were going to be talking to you. And they were like, oh my God, like, this is incredible. Like, can you shout us out? Like, mm. it's a, it's a page dedicated to grunge music. Um, and yeah, they just want to say hello. And they were so excited that we were talking to you today. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Is it, is it wild oh, to boy. see, um, yeah, Mark, what, what is it like to see this younger generation kind of embrace, you know, 80s and 90s alternative? Have you seen that happen? Have you seen many younger fans interact with you? Yeah, I mean, you know, we did a European tour last fall and and also like a U.S. tour, COVID tour in the spring. And, the, you know, the, it's a it's great to see that we're just not playing to people our own age. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Really that, that would be that would be the most amazing if i was a band to having that that second third generation be into you would just be like that would be such validation yeah, yeah, yeah. To me. It's, it's kind of affirming yeah absolutely yeah. all right mark we'll let you go thank you so much for joining us on the show thank you. Uh, the, the new album is out <laughs> plastic eternity go check it out um mark arm from mud honey everybody thank you so much mark sweet all right see you later bye bye mark that was amazing, Demi. That was fire. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. I I think it's funny that, um, you know, when we do these interviews, we always want to talk about their current project. You know, that's mm -hmm. the reason they're doing interviews in the first place, because they're promoting whatever thing. And I think it's funny that we try to get him to talk about the new album. He's like, it's kind of boring, like the recording, you know, and <laughs> he was all about telling the humble. 90s. So, which is funny because... We had the same, when we interviewed Thurston Moore from Sonic mm -hmm. Youth, we kind of had the same trepidation was that we were like, we wanted to talk about current projects wild, yeah. and he wanted to talk about, He's you know, to talk about glory like, days. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think that's fun when you have someone who's been out there for a long time and they love talking about, you know, the, the whole uh, black sheep story at the end there about being on the movie set. That was, that was fun. That was fun. That's some cool insight right there. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't make, see, I would be, um, if I was a guitarist like you, like I would be pumped up right now and wanting to go play something, but you know, that's just me. I mean, yeah, I think I'm gonna just go turn on some mud honey after this and right. the way he said he didn't remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's going to be, that's going to be you in 30 years. You're going to be like, Jordan. You remember when you, when you like recorded that song with Garzy and you'll be like, <laughs> I don't, I kind of remember it. Like, <laughs> oh man yeah i remember making a music video with victoria but you know victoria shout out victoria we yeah. love victoria conifal yeah anyway all right guys that'll be it for us as always go to popdust.com for the latest in pop culture and music news and stream past episodes of it's real with jordan Dimmy on youtube and facebook wherever you get your podcasts until next time we'll see you later <laughs>